we're on a journey together in the Old Testament, which we're calling God's story. And the reason we're doing this is because the Bible says that everything in the Old Testament is relevant to our situation, and it is necessary for us to understand the world we're into today. I wrote this message about Abraham several weeks before the events of last week when we saw violence and terror break out against Jewish people in Israel. We've also seen across our own country of Canada public displays of hatred towards Jewish people, denying the Jewish people's right to exist in their ancestral lands that God gave to Abraham and his descendants. As followers of Jesus, we stand with the Jewish people in Israel and in Canada because Jesus has made both of us into one people. Christians and Jews are brothers. We share one God, we share one book, and one father, Abraham, who is the father of us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we see that you have shone your light into the darkness. And the darkness is not able to defeat it. So, Father, today we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for those who are suffering. We pray for those who are in captivity. We pray for your deliverance and your mercies and your comfort to be with all who are in pain and hurting, Lord God. And, Lord, we pray for our own nation, Lord God, that you would send revival in the truth and revival in love and in kindness across our nation, Lord. You said we are the light of the world. Help us, Lord, to be your people, to move forward in faith. Strengthen our faith today, Lord. Show us what you would have us to do. Teach us in your word. And Lord, I pray for each person here that as we study your word today, that we would be transformed and made more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to start reading in Romans chapter 4. I'm in, <clears throat> starting in verse 16. <clears throat> and i um, got a few verses to look at here. <clears throat> and this passage of scripture is about the Abraham promise. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. 
That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Faith is the assurance of things that we don't see yet. By faith, Abraham believed God's promise God would bless him and his descendants by faith. And by faith, everyone on earth is blessed through Abraham's seed. By faith, we become Abraham's offspring and inherit God's blessings through Jesus. This is part three in our series about discovering the heart of God in the Old Testament. Last time we saw God demonstrate his love by making men and women in his own image and giving them a perfect home where they could worship their creator. When we failed, God demonstrated his love again by revealing his plan to give hope to us and to bring us back home. This week, we're going to look at the people God chooses to be part of his plan and how one man's faith made him the father of all of us who believe and brought God's greatest blessings to the whole world. God's story in the Old Testament tells how God gathers a people to be his personal possession, and how he dwells among them. Where we left off in Genesis chapter 3, God had just revealed his strategy to restore a fallen humanity. His plan was to work through human beings, across human history, through multiple human generations until a promised deliverer was born. Once God and humans walked together in the garden, but now there is a barrier existing between us and God. And the challenge God faced was how to get a message about who he was through the darkness. How could he get this message to people who didn't know him and wouldn't acknowledge him? Now, I've thought of what God could do to reveal himself to our fallen race. You know, God could have carved the mountains into big block letters that said, hey, this is God. Or he could have rearranged the stars and the constellations. Say, look up here. I'm here to help you. I think it would have been cool if he would have made huge flocks of birds fly in formation, spelling out his message in the sky. I love you. Trust me. God didn't do that. He could have. He doesn't take my advice. It would have been cool. God's plan was to, inter- was to reveal himself through relationships with individual people. He would pick people out. He would introduce himself to them and invite them into a relationship with himself. And those people would experience God for themselves. They would learn who he was. And they would learn what he was like. Their own experience would show them God's power and his wisdom and his faithfulness. And then they would become part of God's plan and they would tell other people what they had learned about God. Much of the Old Testament is about the people God chose to do this with. God chose Abel instead of Cain. And after Abel died, God started again with Seth. It was in the days of Seth that people began to call upon the name of the Lord for the first time. God chose Enoch, who walked with God. 
He chose Noah, who built an ark to save his family. Many times in the Bible, God chooses people we wouldn't expect him to choose. We don't read that any of these people were particularly wonderful, uh, good-looking. We don't read any of them were particularly wealthy or particularly smart. None of them seem to have been celebrities. They're not people maybe we would have picked. But though we look at the outward appearance, God doesn't look at that. God chooses people. He looks for something else. And what the, these people God chose were normal people, just like us. But the Bible says they all had one thing in common, and that is faith. They were people who put their faith in God. Every relationship with God is only possible by faith. The Bible says God rewards faith, and that without faith it's impossible to please God. Even in the Old Testament, faith was always God's first plan. God's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes we think, well, in the New Testament, God's plan was for faith, and it was something else in the Old Testament, but that's not the case. God's plan has always been faith. He chose people of faith in the Old Testament. And the rituals of the law and the circumcision and the sacrifices that came later were all meant to be an expression of what people believed in their hearts. They were to be offered in faith. God has never been interested in lip service. And many times in the scripture, you'll see God tell people he's not interested in their sacrifices because they're not being offered from the heart in faith. And remember, it is with the heart that we believe. The dividing line of the human race isn't between the rich and the poor. It's not between the young or the old or men and women. The dividing line of the human race is not between different races or social identities. It's faith. Faith is the dividing line, the division point between the line of people who follow in the way of Abel and Enoch and Noah and the line that follows the way of Cain. By the way, I'm pointing to this side of the room when I do this, but I don't mean that Pastor Ralph is following in the way of Cain, okay? This is, this is dramatic gesturing, all right? I'll let you know if it means anything specific, because I'll be doing that. I won't do that. But there's a line of people who follow in the way of Abel and the way, the way of Cain. It's the dividing line between a humanity that says there's no God or tries to come at God and to God in its own way and those who come to the true God in God's way, which is the way of faith. God's people from the beginning to now are that community of faith. Faith is the foundation of our community at Grand Valley. God is making us into a community of faith, through faith. We're just all normal people here. And we're each very, very different. But we have one thing in common that unites us, and that is faith in the same God, the same God that Abraham believed in. When God called Abraham, it's one of the major turning points in human history. And it was a major turning point in God's story in the Old Testament. He wasn't even called Abraham yet. He was still just Abram. Abram is a real person in history. He lived in a real place, a city called Ur in Mesopotamia. And if you want to find that in a map, it's located in modern Iraq. 
The archaeologists have dug the city up, and they tell us that when Abraham lived in Ur about 4,000 years ago, it was the largest city in the world. It had a population of approximately 65,000 people. Ur was famous as a center for learning and culture. Their god was the moon god, Nana. Everyone in Ur, including Abram's family, worshipped the moon god. But one day, God called Abraham, and he told him to get out of there, to leave his city. So in faith, Abraham and his wife Sarai packed up all their gear and traveled to a faraway land that they knew nothing about. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Then God took Abraham outside and he said, look up at the sky, count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise that he would be the father of millions, which is pretty remarkable since at that time Abraham was not even the father of one. Abraham and Sarah were both far too old to have children now. I mean, his best by date was long past. You know? so the, but Abraham was not in a difficult situation. He was in an impossible situation. Abraham believed God. But the Bible also tells us he laughed so hard he fell on his face. Faith, like Abraham's, is what connects your impossible situation to God's promises. Has anyone here ever had an impossible situation? Or a situation that felt impossible? Has God ever given you a promise in the middle of an impossible situation? He has for me. When God drops his promise into the middle of your impossible situation... You have to receive it by faith. In an impossible situation, there's nothing you can do except to believe. Abraham could do nothing to earn this promise except to believe. There was no circumcision law. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no law of Moses for him to follow to show that he was worthy or good enough or righteous enough to deserve this promise. But Abraham placed his faith in God, and it was enough. And God credited to him as righteousness. We read in Romans 4 that we inherit God's promises when we have the same kind of faith as Abraham. What kind of faith did Abraham have? Believing in faith means more than just knowing something's true. Biblical faith is a firm confidence in something that leads you to completely trust in its effectiveness. Biblical, there's always an action that goes with believing God, and that's the action of putting total trust in him. Abraham's faith was based on the radical proposition that it was reasonable for him to put his total trust in a God who cannot lie and who could never fail. 
So then repeat after me. It's reasonable for me to put my trust in a God who cannot lie and will never fail. Amen. So many times our faith is shaky because of what we know about our own limitations. We like to remind God about our own limitations. We might say, oh, I can't do that, God. Or, God, I've never really been that kind of a person. Or, I've never done that before, Lord. Or, can't you see how difficult this is, Lord God? But Abraham's faith moved his focus away from his own limitations and put them into total trust on God's ability. He could have looked at the fact that Sarah's womb was dead and his body so old it was as good as dead, but he looked at God who gives life to the dead. Instead of looking around and saying, I don't have a son that exists yet, he believed God who calls things into being that don't exist yet. One of the ways to understand faith is a Hebrew word for faith, which means to lean on. If you lean on something, like I'm leaning on this stand here, you are trusting in its effectiveness and power and ability not to let you fall down. For example, you might lean against a door frame, relying on it to hold you up. Faith means to lean. A building might have a major beam in it, and all the weight of the structure is resting on that, leaning on it, <clears throat> which carries the, the weight down to the ground and controls the gravity and all that stuff. It leans on it, and it holds up the whole building. Abraham didn't live in a building. He lived in a large tent. So he would have understood how that tent had a pole in the center, and all the canvas and all the ropes and all the pegs were leaning on that one point, and it held everything up. That's how Abraham understood faith. He was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised, so he leaned on God, relied on God, and trusted with God with his life, his family, his future, and everything he had. You know, the world has an idea what faith is, and it's mostly willpower. Willpower says, somewhere inside of me, I'm going to find the strength to hold this thing together. I'm going to hold this up. Biblical faith says, I'm going to lean this against somebody who does have the strength to hold it up. God. That's Abraham's faith. And it can be our faith. Faith that says, I'm leaning on you, God. I'm leaning my weakness on your strength. I'm leaning my uncertainty on your wisdom and knowledge. I'm leaning my fears on on your love and your peace, Lord God. This faith says I'm leaning all my hopes and my future on God. I'm going to take my needs and lean them on God's riches in Christ. I'm going to take all my sins and all my failures to Jesus and I'm going to lean them up against his cross and I'm just going to leave them there and it'll be all right. Faith says, God, in the middle of my impossible situation, I'm going to lean on you. And just like Abraham believed, God has the power to keep his promise. This concept, by the way, is why biblical faith always leads to obedience. Faith and obedience are not opposites. 
They're related because obedience is the outcome of real faith. Abraham lived a life of both faith and obedience. Abraham believed and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Sarah believed and by faith she became able to get pregnant and deliver a child. From this son Isaac would come Jacob and the 12 tribes and eventually their descendants would number in millions and become the nation of Israel. The rest of the Old Testament is about Abraham's family and what happened as a result of Abraham's faith in God. God promised Abraham all his descendants would inherit the promises. Now one part of this promise flowed to people who were physically descended from Abraham through Isaac. God said, The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Today we have violence and war because people do not agree with God's decision to promise a piece of land, a little thin strip along the one side of the, ocean, the Mediterranean there to, to God's people, to Abraham's descendants. But he did. God promised to give Abraham's descent, physical descendants possession of this land and make them into a great nation there. He promised that he would be their God and he'd take care of them and protect them. The land has always been an important issue for Abraham's descendants. Later on in the New Old Testament, you see how many laws there are about how the land needs to be measured and how the land needs to be distributed and how the land needs to be inherited and how it needs to be protected and managed because it is the land that God promised their father Abraham. Another feature of this part of the promise is that it was conditional. To have the promise, they had to keep their part of the covenant. They had circumcision to show they were God's people and they had to obey God and follow his laws in that land. And when you begin to read Exodus and Numbers and Joshua, we can see God kept his side of this agreement. The second part of the Abraham promise included people who were not physically related to Abraham. Oh, that would be me. Okay. We already saw in Genesis 12, God says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God chose Abraham as the channel to bring promised blessings to everyone. Back then and today. And there's some things about this part of the promise. First of all, it wasn't based on being a physical descendant through Isaac. It's open to everyone because this is a promise for people who become Abraham's offspring spiritually. And we just read about that in Romans. Secondly, this blessing is not about a physical nation on some physical land. These are spiritual blessings. And this part of the promise is not conditional. It was made before there was a covenant of circumcision. It was a promise made before there was the law of Moses. This is a promise received by faith. And finally, it's a promise that is permanent. It's a contract that cannot be canceled or replaced or overridden by any subsequent covenant, contract, law, or regulation. If you're a believer of Jesus, and if you're trying to figure out how the law of Moses applies to you, remember that God has you covered by the Abraham promise. 
the covenant he made with Abraham. And the covenant law given on Mount Sinai did not replace the covenant of faith that God made with Abraham 430 years earlier. It's still in effect. That covenant is still in force today. And it says that those who have faith are Abraham's children and inherit the blessings of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. It's still in effect. I get confused by Christians that are going, gee, I think I need to follow some part of the law of Moses. Because, you know, that's God's covenant. Yeah, what a, but the covenant of Abraham is older. And it hasn't been canceled. And it's about faith. Jesus is the third part about the, of the Abraham promise. God said, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And this is a promise that one of Abraham's offspring, one seed, will bring God's blessing to the whole earth. Jesus is the seed of Abraham who brings together and ties together the physical and the spiritual parts of the Abraham promise and God's covenant to Abraham's descendants. Jesus, a descendant of Abraham according to the flesh. Jesus, born in the land God gave Israel. Jesus, born under the law, is the seed of Abraham who blesses the whole world with the promise of salvation and peace with God and eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen. Next time, we're going to look at how God kept his promise to give the land to Abraham's descendants and to set Israel apart to be his holy people. We'll see God's plan to make us a community with God dwelling in our midst. But first, we'll need to spend some time in the wilderness. I hope you'll be with us for that message. God's story is God redeeming the world through faith in Jesus. And it's our story too. We were all in an impossible situation when God sent Jesus so we could believe in him. God wants you to lean on him today. Jesus wants you to lean your impossible situation on him. He's big enough and strong. He can handle it. He won't drop it. He won't fail you. And he will not let you fall. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never be in darkness. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they'll do even greater things than these. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, even if they die, yet they will live. Jesus said, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. We don't know what will happen when we start to believe God. But something will happen. Matt wants to know what will happen. Something wonderful. Something will happen. When we put our, begin to put our faith in God, we don't know what he has planned. But he has a plan. Before we put faith in God, we don't know all he can do. How are you going to find out all God can do? Trust him. He'll show you. 
We can't even imagine what God can do until we put our faith in God. And then God starts to do the impossible. He reveals himself to you. He makes our church a community of faith. And he does the impossible. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray for a minute before Pastor Andrew comes and, and take, hoses us off. Oh, Lord God, we need you. We need the things that you can do, Lord. Because you are the same God today as you were in the past. You are our God just as you were the God of Abraham, the man of faith. So, Lord God, we lean upon you. We rest our weight upon you. Lord, we rest our concerns and our cares upon you, Lord God. Lord, we rest our sins and our failures on you and upon the cross of Jesus. Lord, I pray you will strengthen your people today. Strengthen us, Lord. Make us a community of faith. Make us your people that we might shine as lights in the darkness, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.